0: Thank you. Hey, Rich so wet, I might drown. Bitch, don't talk, you going out town. I done made six, half for the whole week. Plow wanna the play? then I'm going no tea. I done made four, five, seven, no what? I hopping that scat, and I'm bending your block. Nigga, one scrap, well, let it go rock. My little nigga got it, I bet he gon' pop. I can make ten off no face, no filler, six dot, like, killing, all smoking gorilla. Couple my niggas just caught that nigga that was running off dog. I know they gon' kill him. Smoking, no killer and taking your bitch on the trip, and them fuck on the floor of my villa. I ain't got time for two things. What? These stupid ass holding their fillers. And we are officially back. It is episode 31 of Keeping It 200. We're back again on Wednesday after one day off that me and Tavon had. I'm officially back. Um, finally got some rest and everything that was well needed. Some R and R. No Blackheart here tonight, folks. He'll be back tomorrow night for episode 32 and then off friday and then he'll be back saturday for episode 33 but we're officially back Tavon, how did you enjoy your day off man
1: it was all right
0: Ah, i will say this here though it actually felt good to just get like a day off i literally what i did was i watched the nba game and then i did not watch nxt till today and it just actually just felt good to just get a day off and. You you know you know like seriously whenever you're doing like these podcasts and everything and you're just literally like like oh man like you know like everything is just like going on like man it, it just felt good to get a day off though so um yeah. definitely though I, I yeah and I know the weekend is coming up as well so you know um more stuff for us you know um because remember. Um, Friday, I think, I don't know yet if you and I are doing a show yet, um, uh, I don't know yet, because there's, because, well, we probably might be just doing a show on just the NBA games, because everything that's going on right now, um, you know, at the moment for wrestling, we've already covered everything, and we're getting ready to get into NXT in a little bit, but, um, but I did have to ask you, did you see the game two, um, last night of the Clippers-Suns? Okay.
1: Uh huh. I saw that too.
0: All right. And did you see NXT? Um, from what you call it, this um, mm-hmm. last night as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, that's great. Hey, I will say this here though. You and Blackheart actually got your NHL picks right. Um, you guys have actually been right on the ball this week. Um, the Golden Knights yeah, lost crazy. Um, to the Canadians. I know, right? And the Lightning beat the Islanders. I was actually shocked. I'm like. I'm like, how are they getting all these picks right? So, um, hey, we got the lightning. Yeah. Um, and it's like, Islanders like I'm not,
1: I'm not necessarily the most fan of hockey, but it's like, yeah, sure. I'll just pick whoever. <laughs>
0: Exactly, yeah. Hey, it's been working out so far, so far in the the Eastern and Western Conference Finals in the NHL. I did have to ask you this here tonight. You know, the Islanders and Lightning are getting ready to start in about five to ten minutes away. Who did you have um, winning tonight? Did you think the Lightning are going to go ahead and win game six and make it to the Stanley Cup, or do you think we're getting a game seven in um, Tampa Bay?
1: I can see Lightning winning. Yep.
0: All right, I, I definitely see the Lightning winning after that eight nothing victory over the Islanders Monday because I I just don't see that. Uh, Golden Knights Canadians, that's tomorrow night at eight o'clock. Um, that's in um, Montreal. Do you have the Golden Knights um forcing a game seven in Vegas or do you think the Canadians are taking this um victory and going ahead and make the Stanley Cup Finals themselves? I'm picking the Canadians. The Canadians? All right. Well, I, I will say, though, you know, I do think the Golden Knights are going to force a Game 7. But if the Canadians were to win tomorrow night, it, I think it's uh, Montreal's first Stanley Cup since 1993 where they're actually going to make the um, Stanley Cup, if I'm not mistaken. I'm going to Google it just to make sure because I know they won the championship in 93, but I but I actually um, – because that actually would be something huge for the Canadians. Um, let me see. Montreal Canadiens, last Stanley Cup. Yep, they, they made it in 1993 and actually won it. And have they made it ever since? No, they have not. So so that would actually be something huge for Canadians fans right there if they can go ahead and pull that yep. off tomorrow night. Um, for the Golden Knights, though, if they force a Game 7, of course, the Golden Knights did make the um, NHL Stanley Cup their first inaugural season in 2018. So... Also had some soccer stuff, Um, as um, Wade Barrett pointed out on NXT. You know, he actually made a a soccer comment about, um, what was it? I think it was um, England that got eliminated or something like that. Hold on. Things just being weird to load up today. I don't know why. Here we go. Euro 2021. Yeah, but so um, in the standings, Italy, of course, had won um, all three of their games. Wales was second, Switzerland third, and... Belgium in Group B had three wins. Denmark, one win, two draws. Finland, one win, two draws. And Russia with one win, two draws. Netherlands, Group C, they they went unbeaten as well. England, um, two wins, one draw, no um, losses in the Group D. Um, they beat out Croatia, Swiss Republic, and Scotland. That's who that's who Way Barrett was making fun of because Scotland didn't win any of the games in their Euro um, qualifiers. Sweden um, in Group E um, had um, they had two wins, one draw. Spain, who was Ash's favorite by the way to win everything, has one win, two draws. However, they did make it to the next round, um, but. They're, but they actually are in a lot of trouble. In, in fact, they've actually um, they're actually in a lot of trouble. They really are for this um, for Spain because um, they have not looked good, um, definitely. And Group F was France, Germany, Portugal, and Hungary. Hungary was eliminated. However, France advances with one win, two draws. Germany had one win, one draw, one loss. And Portugal had one, one, one win, one draw, one loss. So possible next round for Portugal, Slovakia, Czech Republic, Ukraine, Finland, and Switzerland. Um, however, people that are going to make it to the next round, who I've already said was going to win, was Italy to win the Euro 2021. Wales, Belgium, Denmark, Netherlands, Austria, England, Croatia, Sweden, Spain, France, Germany, are all um, have already made their next round. And we're in the round of 16 come Saturday. So Saturday is the next time that you'll hear any soccer. So we'll probably be getting into the soccer talk probably Saturday night after AEW Dynamite. So how about this year, though? We're going to go ahead and – Um, Before we get into the NBA draft lottery, because Tavon, that was obviously what happened last night. We actually had the NBA draft lottery. Uh, Trey might come in in a bit, but I don't know if Trey will come in in a bit. Um, But if he does, of course, I'm going to be asking him the top NBA questions. I've talked to him a little bit in message about this and um such so so probably Tavon there'll probably be an episode where me and Trayvon will just be doing one and you'll get a day off yourself. So how's that feel?
1: <laughs> it, it it feels pretty good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well um how about this here though? Before we get into the draft lottery we had one game last night that was the Western Conference finals. It was game two. It was the Phoenix Suns winning one ho- hundred and four to one oh three to take a two nothing series advantage. There was no Chris Paul. There was no Kawhi Leonard um, for the Clippers, for um, Phoenix, they didn't have no Chris Paul. And the Clippers had this game won. They actually had this game won no matter what because it was a close game in the first half, yeah, forty-eight, forty-seven, 47 And um, by the end of the third quarter, it was 75-71 Phoenix. And in that fourth quarter, it was the Clippers who had scored more points, 32-29 to And the Clippers actually were going to win this game had Paul George just made one of those two free throws. If you don't um, know what I'm talking about, here's what happened in the last 10 seconds of this game because it's the important 10 seconds that you need to know about. Paul George was at the free throw line. He missed one. He missed the second. So then Phoenix was able to get the opportunity to get the ball. Nine tenths left. Jay Crowder throws up an alley-oop pass. literally. From the, um, just throwing the ball in, an alley-oop pass to DeAndre Ayton, it was so fast that I didn't even know what happened, literally. Men, I yeah, me literally just che- I checked my head down, and thank goodness they showed the replay like a hundred times because I had people saying today that the instant replay is what's killing basketball. I think it does the polar opposite because it actually helps. Because, say, for example, you missed that play. They've showed it to you another ten times just to make sure Jake Crowder actually got away with throwing that pass inbound and DeAndre (laughs) Ayton catching it. It was actually a really awesome moment for DeAndre Ayton. Yeah, definitely.
1: But for the Clippers,
0: though, you have to be pissed off because you're thinking, we did everything all game right. And then we got screwed in the last second. And literally, they got screwed in the last nine-tenths of the second. It wasn't even a whole second. Uh, DeAndre Ayton, though, uh, 12 of 15, 24 points. Devin Booker, 5 of 16, uh, 9 of 9 from the free throw line with 20 points, four rebounds, five assists. Ayton had 24 points, 14 rebounds. Um, And then Cameron Payne, who has been either the laughing joke of Twitter or people are actually really buying into Cameron Payne, and Cameron Payne, when his contract is up, will probably be getting a really big, hefty contract from some NBA team. Cameron Payne, 12 of 24, 2 of 8 from 3. He had 29 points, 9 assists. I had to hear from people today that this was the same man that was cut by the Oklahoma City Thunder and the Chicago Bulls, and people said, well, he sucked then. And, you know, maybe that's true, but... Cameron Payne's proving everybody wrong in this playoff He had 29 <laughs> points as Chris Paul's replacement. Um, Mikhail Bridges, 2 of 7, 5 points on 1 of 5. Um, not good shooting. Jay Crowder was 0 of 3, 2 points, 4 rebounds. But he did throw in the game-winning pass to DeAndre Ayton. So that's all that matters for the Clippers. Uh, Paul George, 10 of 23, 1 of 8, uh, 26 points. On 5 of 10 from the free throw line, he had 6 rebounds, 6 assists on the night as well. Um, um, it was Reggie Jackson, 7 of 15, 19 points, and a Vitsa Zubox, 4 of 5, 14 points. Fun fact about Zubox, do you know that when Zubox plays over 13 minutes, the Clippers don't win any games? Um, and I did not even played- notice that. Yeah, and Zubox played 34 minutes. <laughs> um, I, I doubt that it's because of Zubox. Marcus Morris was 3 of 11 on 7 points. Um, the fun fact, that stat was credited by Stat Muse, so I don't even know how the hell they thought of that. Um, Terrence Mann, who was electric in that game six against Utah, has not came on at all. He was 3 of 5 with 8 points. Raizzo Armando, 2 of 6 with 8 points. Um, and give credit to Luke Kennard; He was uh, 4 of 7. With 10 points. Um, After the game, DeMarcus Cousins was hit with a technical foul for shoving um, Devin Booker. Um, So the NBA, I believe, fined DeMarcus Cousins as well for that. So um, not a good look for DeMarcus Cousins. DeMarcus Cousins, of course, if you don't remember what happened... The Suns celebrated the victory because they won it, and DeMarcus Cousins shoved Devin Booker and pushed him, and you clearly saw it on the ESPN. And then Ray John Rondo was talking to Booker, and Booker just said, I don't know why he did that for. Uh, Points in the paint, though, 60 to 30 Phoenix. The Phoenix Suns just dominate the Clippers in the paint. The paint for the L.A. Clippers has been so tough for defense because they don't know how to stop DeAndre Ayton. They don't know how to stop pain they don't know how to stop booker the clippers have no defense when it comes inside this paint. uh second chance points was 13 10 clippers fast break points was four to two clippers there was 11 lead changes eight ties Suns led by nine at one point and the clippers actually led by six at one point so definitely a big victory for the um for the uh, phoenix suns of course Tavon, you said that they were going to go up to nothing I said they were going to go up 2 nothing. Blackheart said they were going to go up 2 nothing, And we were all right about that. However, yep. we were not right about the point spread. The point spread was a six. And we all lost on that one. We all lost on mm. the point spread. However, though, I did have to ask you, though, Tavon, the Clippers are down 0-2 again. This is, this is not, I'm a stranger of reality. This is what they've done all playoffs. They're down 0-2. They let, they let the top stars have their game. Now I have to ask you this year. Can the Clippers come back and win two straight? Now,
1: I mean, they could probably win one game, but I don't necessarily see them winning two straight.
0: Yeah, I-, I have to agree because I've not been a fan of the Tyronn Lue coaching system in this postseason. I- I'm I- I- spoiler people. I don't care how good Tyron Lue is as a coach you can't keep going down 0-2 and then expecting a miracle because that's just not going to keep flying i just don't believe that's the case um and tyron Lu keeps letting all the star players have their game now tyron Lu is letting three players have over 20 points yeah. he doesn't have no defense for inside the paint and it's finally like now phoenix has now finally found their answer by the way tayvon Chris Paul has been cleared, so he will be able to go game three. Oh yeah, I didn't saw the news. Yes. Um however though, however, Kawhi Leonard is out for game three. So that is tough for the Clippers because now, you know, the Clippers had the first two games technically easy with no Chris Paul. Now they're in very big trouble now. Now they're in very, very big trouble for this. Um and now, and now you don't know what's gonna be happening technically speaking, because you know, I will say the clippers do win game three um I just got that feeling that they're going to win, win game, game three. three. I, I do have th- that feeling they are gonna win it. I don't know if they're gonna win game four necessarily, however, um odds makers in Vegas don't even know what to make of the everything right now. The clippers are favorite plus one, which means the clippers just have to win the game outright. Um, or lose by a point to get your to get a push and get your money back. The Phoenix Suns are favorite by just one point, so that means they just have to win by two. Money line for Phoenix is minus 115. For the Clippers, it's minus 107. What does that mean for a minus 115? Well, if you bet $100, you win back 87 on the payout. If you uh, have the minus 107 for the Clippers, you win a $94 payout. So $7 difference. So, Tavon, I got to ask you, Clippers in Game 3, are they winning this? Or is it Phoenix going up 3 nothing, and then the Clippers get a Game 4 victory?
1: I think the Clippers could win
0: Game 3, and then the Suns will win Game 4. Yeah, I, I, I have to actually agree with that. I, I, I say that the Clippers do win Game 3, so I am going to take that minus 107. Um, however, though, I'm not um, fully confident, though. In game four for the Clippers, because um, if there's no Kawhi, they're in really, really big trouble. They, and, and, it's, and it's starting to show. Um, because without Kawhi, they don't have no protector in this paint. And it's going to keep getting worse um, for the Clippers um, defensively. The Clippers in this game three, and this is what I'm going to have to say for the Clippers' key strategy. They're going to have to hold Phoenix to under 40 points in the paint. Which means that if you can cut out 20 points, the Clippers can win this game. However, you have to actually play the defense in that paint to stop them. My other take will also be that Marcus Morris is going to have to step up and have a big game. Terrence Mann's going to have to step up and have a big game because you can't keep relying on Reggie Jackson and Paul George. They're going to need a third guy. They're definitely going to need a third guy. Um, and also the other big key that they're also going to be able to have to do is they're going to have to hold – they're going to have to not let Cameron Payne have a 20-point game. And they're going to have to stop either Aiton or Booker. If you can have – you can have one player to get over 20 because the Clippers have shown that they can beat a beat a team when, when Donovan Mitchell scored 39 and Luka has scored 40. However, they can't do it if three players are scoring over 20. So uh, for Phoenix, what will they have to do to win game three? It's simple. Keep playing the game that they're playing right now as far as driving that ball into the paint because the Clippers have no bitch in the paint to stop them. Um, the other thing that's actually going to have to happen for the Phoenix Suns to win this game is they're going to have to have Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton keep just scoring and get Cameron Payne scoring again or get Jay Crowder or get Mikhail Bridges hot. And the third thing I think that will have to take place for Phoenix to win this game is um, just making sure – you shut down Paul George or Reggie Jackson, because those have only been the two top scorers for this team. They they're doing great with Morris. They're doing great with Zuvox. Um, but they got it. And they've done great with Terrence man, but just don't, you know, just don't take your foot off the pedal is what I would say for Phoenix right now. Um, how about this here though? Um, we've got one NBA game tonight as well. It's the Eastern conference finals game one. It's the Hawks bucks that has moved up to a plus eight. Tavon has already said that he um has the Bucks winning game one. I have the Hawks covering the point spread. So um hopefully the Hawks can um just cover a seven or less um if they, they can lose by seven or less. So next up now we've also got now the NBA 2021 draft lottery. Hold on, let me get the page back up. I don't know why I just closed out of this page. That was that was weird of me. Let me see here. Sorry for the dead air, people. (laughs) All right, there we go. Finally, the number one pick will be the Detroit Pistons. The Houston Rockets will be the number two pick. And the Cleveland Cavaliers will be the number three pick. Four will be Toronto. Five will be Orlando. Six will be the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, Seven goes to Golden State because Minnesota Timberwolves did not capture a top four pick, so the Minnesota Timberwolves folks have no pick at all in this year's draft for the first round it um chicago has also lost their pick due to orlando because chicago's pick was not a um, top five so the orlando magic also get the pick the sacramento kings will be picking ninth the new orleans pelicans will be picking 10th as you saw by swim cash's face that she was disgusted with that uh, number the charlotte hornets will be picking 11th 12th will be the san antonio spurs 13th the indiana pacers And 14th, closing it out, will be the Golden State Warriors for our lottery picks. Tavon, I've got to ask you, um, did you see the draft lottery last night? And if so, uh, what's your thoughts on Minnesota losing their only draft pick in the first round to Golden State and Chicago losing their only draft pick to Orlando in this first round?
1: I didn't see the um, draft lottery, but but I did heard that Detroit got the— Number one pick. Good for them. They pretty much have a a future with whoever's gonna be whoever whoever they're gonna pick with that pick. Um, Minnesota and Chicago. Yeah, not gonna lie. It kind of it kind of sucks for them that they don't have a pick. So yeah, they're just they're just gonna have to settle with.
0: Yeah, I, I, I actually agree. I, I will say this year, though, for Detroit, um, good good news finally for the Detroit Pistons fans because Pistons fans have really been in the depths like last decade. And, you know, it, and that's good. Finally, the Pistons actually got a pick. They've got Sadiq a. Bay. They've got Isaiah Stewart, two guys that had um, phenomenal rookie years to me. And I think and now we, the number one pick obviously going to be Cade Cunningham. Because Kate Cunningham has even said that he's only going to go visit one team. That's the team picking number one. For people that don't know who Kate Cunningham is, Kate Cunningham is the point guard out of Oklahoma State. He's 6'8". He's 220 pounds. Here's his strengths. Has excellent size for a point guard. Listed at 6'8". With a wingspan that exceeds over 7 feet, Tavon fluid athletic who mm. plays at different speeds passes and handles with both hands and plays a self selfless style can bully smaller guards in the post which is very needed in this <laughs> NBA difficult for bigger defenders to handle due to his shot creation skill. Outstanding physical tools defensively that allow him to cover guards, wings, and bigs, has excellent timing and steals and has intensity, likes to, class the, likes to crash the glass often and get uh, rebounds, <laughs> ignites the break on his own. And one thing about uh, Cade Cunningham that I saw last year at Oklahoma State, when it comes time to be in the last five minutes of a game, Cade Cunningham actually turns into a point, uh, a, basically a point guard coach. On the floor, because he's able to, you know, keep teams in it and also be able to beat teams. So that's one thing about Cade Cunningham that I, that I do definitely like. However, here's, here's some things that Cade Cunningham needs improvement in, though. Um, a degree of explosiveness, beating defenders from a standstill. He struggles to score um, over length and traffic at times, which does happen in the last five minutes as well, because Cade Cunningham can score points. It's just his shooting numbers ain't going to be as good. Um, and, you know, when he played for Oklahoma State, a team that lacked much perimeter shooting and creation, opponents are aggressive with double teams and intend to get the ball out of his hands, may not be able to show the full intent of his arsenal operating outside of the pick and roll. So here's what I've thought about the Cade Cunningham situation. He's not a point guard. In fact, I think Cade Cunningham needs to be playing the two guard or the three um, as a wing because Cade Cunningham is better as a wing. Whenever he's the point guard, he's very high turnover. Shooting won't be good. However, he does do a lot of good things. He can guard the top point guards. I just don't think he should be a point guard to start out the NBA. I think he needs to be a guy that can play the wing or be a guy that can play the two. That's what I would see for Kay Cunningham. And then I would move Sadiq Bay to point guard for Detroit and Isaiah Stewart's fine where he's at, at um, the forward center. However, that's what I would do. Um, However, Detroit could, and Detroit has even said too, that they're not a hundred percent sure if they want to keep the number one overall pick. So the Pistons might trade it. Um, The number two pick projected is Evan Mobley. The center out of USC, seven foot, two hundred and fifteen pounds, idea physical profile for a modern big man. And one thing about Evan Mobley, he's an elite rim protector, he's a very good pick and roll defender, and he is shooting threes. So there's so that's actually a lot of things that you like about this big man. He can shoot threes, he's a very good defender. However, here's what he has a problem with right now. He's not a physical defensive rebounder. Um, in yeah. fact, in fact, he's like what Chris Capuozzingas was in his playoffs. He won't go after a lot of these things. Um You know, Interesting. always exactly. He has incredible talent, but you know, you want him to be more of a stretch four. You know, and he and at times he can be the stretch four, but at times he doesn't want to be the stretch four. And you know, there is an issue here too because can he be the number one or number two scoring option on a great team? For right now, if, this is, if we're talking about right now, if you think Evan Mobley, if, I were, if you were to say to me, is Evan Mobley this guy that can be a top two scorer on a team right now? And I look at Detroit and Houston and Cleveland, I would say probably in Cleveland he would be the top two scorer, but in Houston, no, and in Detroit, no, because Mobley is not going to be that kind of guy that can just go out there right now to do that. Um, we've got the number three projected pick. It's Jalen Green. Uh, Jalen green is the USC teammate of Evan Mobley. Um, shifty explosive guard has a rare gears changing speeds in open court, which is actually really actually pretty awesome because he can actually turn up the gear from two to four instantly, which is something that you definitely want in a two guard. That's something that you definitely would like, you know, strong finisher with long strides, which means that whenever he he can get to that rim, he's going to be able to make those shots. And that's a very good thing. And he's much improved as a perimeter shooter who shows glimpses of impressive shot-making paralysis pulling off dribbles within the deep range. So Jalen Green could actually be someone in three, four, five years where he could be shooting Steph Curry range threes and would actually be efficient. Interesting. Very interesting. And I, I think that Jalen Green should be the number two overall pick. I've said that here. He is, and, 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 and here's who he's competing with for the number two overall pick. It's Jalen Suggs of Gonzaga. Um, Gonzaga's Jalen Suggs, nice strength for a guard. He's 6'4", strong, um, compact frame, powerful athlete. Finishes above the rim in space as well. And, you know, great in transition. Uh, active cutter who can play on or off the ball. Which is something Green is still not very good at off the ball yet. And he's a very tough defender, which is better than Green. However, here's the problem with Jalen Suggs. Wherever Jalen Green is getting better in shooting, Jalen Suggs is a streaky shooter. His mechanics, and he's got good mechanics and balance, but 27% from three on 190 attempts. Not good. Nothing to um, suggest he would become a reliable shooter right out the gate. And Um, You know, he relies more on power and two-foot explosiveness than his finesse, which which would benefit from adding a more reliable floater. Um, However, in the NBA, you've seen that you do need a floater to be a very good player, case in point, Trey Young with his floater. So – and Jalen Green, by the way, I I actually forgot to mention this. Jalen Green actually foregoed his – College season and went to the NBA's G League development program. So technically speaking, Jalen Green actually has NBA experience against former NBA players they played this year. So I would look for Jalen Green to be my number two overall pick. That's what I would look at. My number one overall pick would be katie Cunningham. And my number two overall pick would be Jalen Green. Because Green, to me, right now, yes, he might not have the defense but he's everything that you want right now in offense to build around. That's what I would go with. For my number three pick for Cleveland, I would go with Evan Mobley because Cleveland does need a center. They are losing Jared out in free agency. They gave up JaVale McGee. They have only Larry Nance Jr. and Kevin Love, and Kevin Love has made no strides of saying that he is – a happy Cleveland Cavalier. In fact, in fact, once a year, there's always something about Kevin Love wanting to be traded. And the Cleveland Cavaliers, Kobe Ottman, the GM laughs at him and says, no, you're not going to get traded because we have no reason to trade you. Um, so I would definitely go with Evan Mobley. Mobley would be my number three pick for my number four pick, um, which would be picked by Toronto. That's where Jalen Suggs, I think will land. Um, but Jalen green should definitely be my number number two overall pick. Um, based off the four guys that I've mentioned, how would you rank the top four guys right now, Tavon? Would, who would be your number one overall pick? Would it be Cunningham? Would it be Mobley? Would it be Green, or would it be Suggs to Detroit?
1: Um, not gonna lie, I might just um, I might just go with what's pretty much projected. I'll I'll say I'll say K Cunningham for the first pick.
0: What about for second for Houston?
1: Houston's got the second pick?
0: Yes. Um,
1: who is projected to be number two?
0: Mobley or Green? Hmm.
1: I'll go with Green for second.
0: And for three, it's Cleveland. Yeah. Mobley. Mobile. All right. So that means four um, Jalen Suggs would be going to Toronto on your board. Here's how the um, other five through 14 rank out. We're going to go through them. Um, try to go th- through them as quickly as we can. Jonathan Kaminga, um, he comes from Congo. That's um, another country. Um, you know, there's not really a lot that I've seen on Jonathan Kaminga that makes me want to jump out of my way and say this is the best – forward in the draft early on because Suggs can play the three if I need it to and technically speaking if Kay Cunningham was listed as a forward, Kay Cunningham would be number one on that list. However, Kaminga um, I have found some stuff, just not a lot. You know idea of physical strength for a combo forward at 6'8", 225. He has a 7 foot wingspan, outstanding frame explosive in the open court with an expressive combination of strength quickness and um, fluidity Has excellent defensive potential when engaged, strong enough to defend big man, but has quick feet um, to stand in front of guards. Here's where he needs to improve a lot, though. There's questions approached to his game, body language leaves to be desired. Um, He hasn't gotten much of level coaching didn't show great progress with his feel for the game in his final two years of high school. Uh, remember, these are Jonathan Cavoni's words um, from ESPN's Draft Express, not mine, on on his maturity. However, here's what I think that he's going to have to improve in. His tools and versatility, because it is below average of a defender right now at this stage, and seeing that the top four picks right now outside of Green. Is, you know, I mean, even Green has more defense than Kaminga, but Kaminga does not have the, I would say the, I didn't, I, I what what would be that word? You know, the teachings. Like if we were, like if we were talking about wrestling, this would be a guy that would say that where he came from, he didn't get very much training, and now he's coming to somewhere better, and he'll probably be getting more big training than ever before. Um, so that's where I think that's going to have to be for Kaminga. Kaminga is um, technically listed as best forward in this. Uh, Six is Scotty Barnes from Florida State. Uh, Florida State Seminoles um, in the ACC, which I actually did see a lot of um, Scotty Barnes. Excellent size and length. Um, He's 6'8", with a 7'2", wingspan and a strong frame. High motor defender who can defend 1 through 5 at a collegiate level, which is very, very hard. Very, very hard. Um, And he has a mismatch facilitator with a great field for the game so here's so here's what that means um Tavon for for someone like you because I I know these are some big words i am throwing out he can play the point guard and unselfishly move the ball ahead in transition so he's a comfortable ball hander comfortable ball hander it's basically what Ben Simmons is except think this guy can actually not be afraid to shoot so that's what we're looking at in Scotty Barnes. He could be actually a Ben Simmons type player, except he would actually have a jump shot and could actually score. Here's um, the um, improvement areas that Scotty Barnes does need to work on, though. His, his shooting stroke is with unproven results at the moment, but he's not afraid to shoot. He's lacking floor spacing, which makes him a tough fit on offensive end of the floor. So he does need shooters around him at all times to make him most efficient so so he, so, he needs to go to a team that's going to be able to just shoot the damn ball like at least 20, 30 times from three. That's what he's going to definitely need. He's limited all-around score in the half court. So again, Ben Simmons issues. And, you know, mobile for his size but lacking a degree of quickness and burst off the dribble, which is still going to make him still a very good defender, except we don't know how good of a defender he will be now with NBA Wings coming up. Uh, seven, Davian, uh, Dav- uh, Davian Mitchell from Baylor. He's the point guard um, for the Baylor Bears, and the Baylor Bears won the national championship. Here's what you need to know though, about Davian Mitchell, though. He's 24 years old. So, you know, youth is what NBA teams buy. NBA, and, I, and, and trust me, NBA GMs have told me, and I've heard this from NBA GMs as well, that they'd rather buy into someone young than buy into someone at 24. Because when you buy into someone at 24, it's like buying a car with 100,000 miles on it. Either you're going to get a lot out of the 100,000 miles, or you're not. And that's how it's been compared to me. You know, I, I know bad. I know bad reference and bad phrasing, but I'm using the best I can do, people. So <laughs> don't get ridiculous. mad at me later. <laughs> Because, 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 what someone say on later is going to say, well, you know, he just said David Mitchell's not going to really last in this NBA. <laughs> so, so I, I'm not trying to, sh- I'm not trying to shut down Mitchell. However, here's I mean, thing about- he
1: might. I mean, you make it. You make it.
0: Yeah, but yeah, but at 24 years old, though, a lot of players right now, like Trey Young and these guys, are right now in the Eastern Conference Finals, and they were drafted young. Which would make you know, and David Mitchell was going to be the oldest in this draft, more than likely to be drafted in the lottery. Mm-hmm. So that's that's very high. So um, how about this here, though? For Mitchell, he's a nascent and Big Twelve Defe- um, defensive player of the year, uh, mm-hmm. arguably the best on-ball defender in this draft. Arguably, mm-hmm. um, lightning quick feet does a tremendous does a tremendous job on taking on-ball charges. Great anticipation fights over the top of screens, beats on um, battles on switches, plays much bigger than his measurements have suggested, elite defender from day one in the NBA. So basically, uh, a Drew Holiday-like defensive player for this guy. So Mitchell, he's got something right there, 6'2", 205. Um, He's got an excellent pass-assist turnover ratio, 2.23 assist-to-turnover ratio. That's very, very excellent. Uh, delivers passes off the dribble with either hand, which is even better, and can actually catch the ball and shoot um, in multi-guard lineups. He shot 45% from three last season with Baylor, and he can get the ball up on the glass quickly as a finisher. And coaches and teammates rave about his work ethic. They love his um, on-the-court coach mentality. He's a guy that lifts up teammates. So you really can't ask for much in, in a guy like that. Um, here's where he's going to have to improve, though, in my opinion, though. He's a career 66% free throw shooter, and he's greatly improved last year from three. However, he's going to have to keep improving in both the three and the free throw shooting. That's where he's going to have to be. He's going to have to develop a floater because he only made five floaters in 30 games last year. He's a good finisher, but he doesn't, um, but he doesn't um, have a floater. In his game, and that's going to be tough. Also, for free throw shooting, he only went to the free throw line less than three times a game um, per 40 minutes in 30 games last year, which is going to be kind of a big thing because NBA point guards are known for getting to the free throw line. Case in point, look at Trey Young in the um, playoffs, look at Devin Booker, look at all these guys that are going to the free throw line. You have to get to the free throw line in order to be a big change of the game. And right now he doesn't have the elite size or length, which limits to his ability to see over the top of defenses as pass traffic, which means say he's guarding Ben Simmons, and Ben Simmons is six foot ten, six eleven, and he's six two. There's no way he's gonna be able to stop these Ben Simmons passes. Now, if he's playing him one-on-one, then yes, he'll be able to steal the ball and get it from Ben. But if Ben Simmons is throwing past his half-court and just starting in the half-court motion, it's going to be tough for Mitchell. So Mitchell's going to have to improve there. The eighth one is Kenyon Johnson from the Tennessee Volunteers. That's the SEC basketball team. Of course, in the SEC, um, the Kentucky Wildcats are usually known as king. The Wildcats did not even make the tournament they didn't even win the SEC tournament. And did you know this? Here, fun fact about Kentucky, Tavon. Kentucky has won more SEC championship um, tournament as as a basketball team than anyone else, um, and I, and that's actually really rare. Hmm,
1: I never knew that.
0: Yeah, um, I'm, I'm gonna get like the official number because I don't have it off the top of my head. But I know Google does, so so I always rely on Google. Um, shout out to Google, because Google really saves my ass a lot on these shows. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, oh, let me see here. Um, all right, so here's how this went here. And, and, and this is how it has um, been, let's see. All right, so Kentucky has won 31 times. The last cha- the last time they won a championship was 2018. Alabama is the second closest, Tavon. Can you guess how many they have won? Um, eight? Close. Seven. Hmm. Yeah. Florida is third, along with Tennessee. They're both tied for third. How many do you think they have won? Um... Five, close four. Ooh, so I know. So, it, it, so it's actually been really weird because um, K- Kentucky in the SEC always wins, except it, except they haven't done that now since like 2017, which means the last four years have went to Auburn, Tennessee, LSU, Kentucky, Alabama, which is just like crazy to think about. That this mm. is like that—that that really Kentucky run, runs the SEC, but yeah, that's how it's happened. For Kenyon Johnson, though, for Tennessee, though, he's one of the best athletes in the college basketball um, today, and was, uh, of, and was of last year. He's a powerful first step in open court, explosive exhilaration from standstill, and get and getting off his feet for dunks and blocks. Um, frame is at an early stage of development, but. Should fit in over time. He's 6'5, 186. So if Kenyon Johnson grows two more inches, he's literally the same um, height as LeBron and Devin Booker in these guys. So, ah, I knew you were going to get the same LeBron. <laughs> An uh, aggressive um, competitor prospect who um, maximizes his tools on both ends of the floor, a versatile defender who can stay in front of guards and wings. So that's very good. Um, and, you know, he shows flashes of playmaking, shot making, and, and feel for the game that indicates his significant room for growth. However, here's the issues for Kenyon Johnson. At an early stage of development, his offensive, he, he's got to prove offensively. He's lacking the expertise and polish in the half court. His ball handling decisions are a work in progress, which means he's going to have to make them more faster, or he's going to get the ball turned over quicker. And his pull-up jumper is very, very slow. Um... And lacks accuracy under duress, and he struggles at the free throw. And he struggled at the free throw line earlier in his career, but he has gotten better there. So you know, this is a two-way wing in the making, but it's going to take a lot of time, though. Number nine, though, is a guy that I actually know very well, um, and I'm going to actually bury the fuck out of him real quick. Um, this is this is actually one of the few players ever in Duke basketball history to quit, Duke. While still – while there were still games to be played, so I'm not a fan of this guy, Um, Jalen Johnson. Um, Here's what I do like about Jalen Johnson, though. Um, The 6'9", 220. He's an impressive uh, combination of strength and explosiveness. Um, You know, at best, he's pushing up the court. He's got a fluid ball handle for his size and crafty passer. Excellent straight-line driver who can change speeds. Here's where he's going to have to improve, though – He's he's got a he's got a mature he's got to get better maturity wise. He's not overly long um, re- relative to his height. Um, he's a bit predictable as a shot creator. He just likes to catch jab right d- drive left. That's it. Um, and he's very turnover prone. And he has a rigor shot stroke long release with mixed results. Doesn't have many ways to score in half court outside of energy plays and was a big reason why Duke did not have a good season last year with him starting. So Johnson, you know, if Johnson's not the number one scorer, you know, he's not going to be the guy that you think. But Johnson has to prove in a lot of ways. So 10th is France Wagner of the Michigan Wolverines, who was actually coached by Jawan Howard, former Miami Heat assistant coach during the LeBron James three championships, uh, an NBA player in his own right where he made the 2000 um, NBA Finals with the NBA Pacers, and remember has even um, played alongside LeBron James in the NBA Finals. Um, so so one thing about Juwan Howard, Howard Howard does teach, um, teach his guys how to play, and Wagner, a small forward, in my opinion, I don't know why he's not considered the best small forward of this draft, in, in all honesty. He's ranked 10th. But he has the most NBA-ready to me. To me, he's the most NBA-ready because he was trained by a head coach that's getting players NBA-ready. And here's what he's doing. You know, he has outstanding potential size for the wing at 6'9". You know, he's young first class. He's not even turning 20 till late August. Same time around my birthday as well. Except I'll be 25, and this guy will literally be turning 20. Um... You know he has he's highly impactful defender on or off the ball. He's big enough to um, guard most power forwards. Plays with strength, um, um, with strong intensity. Has a terrific technique and smarts in team settings, helping him make an um, impact in passing lanes as as a rim protector. And he helped Michigan, by the way, top five in defensive efficiency across the nation. That's out of 363 college basketball schools in Division I. That is incredible for Wagner. And an excellent passer who can operate as somewhat of a point forward facilitator in the half court. You know, this guy shot 81% for the free throw line, soft touch around the rims on floaters and layups. So I don't see why Wagner is not more up higher on boards because if I were a team and I saw that this guy was coached by Juwan Howard and this guy was leading his school in top five defensive efficiency there's no way I would want to pass up on a guy like this here because he's 19 he's not even 20 yet and this is a guy that could really be the he could be actually the dark horse of this NBA draft he really could be he honestly could be Here's where he's going to have to improve, though, in his um, areas. He he doesn't have the quickness and explosiveness like I've mentioned about Johnson, like I've mentioned about Mitchell, like I've mentioned about Barnes and others. So he has to improve there. He's not a prolific scorer neither. He averaged just 12.5 points per game. But he has a tendency to blend in, lacking a degree of aggressiveness. So what will happen is he, if he's not the primary offensive guy – you know, he'll just blend in and will not be a guy that shows up on the stat sheets. And he converted just 32.5% of his threes in college, which, you know, confidence from the perimeter um, fuel gates, which will pass up open shots at times. So one thing about Wagner, he's going to have to improve his jumper. His jumper looks a little low and slow at times, but if if he's able to expand and work that range and on his pull-up, where I would say where he would need to be, he would need to start out, just shooting mid rangers and then getting him into the paint and then getting his three point working. But in the NBA, I know what they'll do. They'll make him be this guy that has to play out in the wing and shoot threes, and that's all he's learning. All he's learning is, I got to be a stretch four. When I mean, in actuality, the best thing for Wagner to do is to be a point four facilitator where he's going in the paint. Learning and then has mid range and then you work on his threes in another time. But knowing the NBA, they're going to make him be a wing defender that's shooting threes at a stretch four and make him probably in a position where he's not going to be comfortable in, but he's going to have to learn how to be better. At him. So that's how it's going to have to go. Um, but if I'm if I'm NBA draft scouts, I'm I'm looking at Wagner. I really am. Uh, number eleven is Josh Giddy of Australia. We got three more people. <laughs> uh, Josh Giddey from Australia. He's supersized point guard at 6'9". He's the third youngest player currently projected in this draft, by the way. Um, as three inches. He's grown three inches in the past three years. He's 6'8". So if he grows two more inches, he's already seven foot almost. So look out for Josh Giddey. And he's a two guard. Um, right now, though, here's what he's going to have to improve, though. Um, he's shooting just 29% um, from beyond the, from beyond the arc. He has set-shot mechanics that don't leave much margin for error shooting off the dribble. Is he good enough to be given keys to an NBA offense? No. No way in hell. However, um, he's also going to have to improve better as a defender because, you know, who's taking – and he gets taken advantage of consistently uh, defensively. Um, He has lack of height and quickness, um, struggles to get through screens, gets blown by quickly. However, one thing about him though that you can look forward into, he led the Australian NBL in assist at 7.4 points, um, 7.4 assists per game. So he's a pick and roll maestro. So what Josh Giddy might be is a guy that, that's just a pass first kind of guy, which would really be rare for a two-guard. So if I'm Josh Giddy, I'm looking to be moved to a point guard level. And, you know, Josh Giddy will have to come off the bench, of course. But get him off the bench. And get him into a point – pass first, point guard first, and then get his shooting better. That's what I would say. Uh, For 12, Isaiah Jackson of the Kentucky Wildcats, the power forward. Um, Kentucky didn't have a good year last year in college basketball, folks. So here's what he – so here's what Isaiah Jackson brings at the four. He an elite physical profile, 6'11", 206. He's one of the best athletes in the college game in terms of ability to run the floor and get off his feet quickly for dunks and blocks. He shows significant flashes offensively with ability to handle, pass, and shoot the ball. But he's still very early in stages of everything. But has good hands and a soft touch and upside, so that's not thing to worry about. Here's what he's going to have to fix, though. He only weighs 206, so he's lacking a lot of strength especially in the lower body, because he's going to get killed by guys like DeAndre Ayton and these guys if he's playing the four or five. Um, He does incredible things defensively, but isn't consistent enough with the fundamentals. So he's going to have to improve there. And he's not a prolific or uh, uh, efficient shooter at this stage, Um, but he can get better. So Jackson is going to be someone that I don't know if he's going to make it in the lottery. I don't know if he's going to be this top 14. Um, And then, of course, closing it out is Corey Kispit of Gonzaga. 6'7", 220, nice size for a wing. Arguably the best shooter in the country, by the way, Tavon. This is the guy that you should be looking for if you want a shooter. 48% from three on over six attempts um, from the game. That's incredible for Gonzaga. And Gonzaga was actually one of the best teams last year in the whole college basketball season. In fact, I believe they were the last unbeaten team in college basketball so they were eliminated in the college basketball um, tournament. Um, highly intelligent player on both ends of the floor. A 2.8 assist to turnover ratio, so he doesn't waste any dribbles. He's a smart passer out of handoffs and a second um, side pick and roll. Um, however, here's where he's going to have to improve, though. He's a little bit one two-dimensional in the NBA level, which for some reason would make it kind of – very shocking because you know when you think of a guy that shoots over forty eight percent from three, you don't think of one dimensional. You think of the right NBA guy, but here's where he's going to have to be better at. He's just a shot creator off the bounce. He's not he's not that yet, and he's most likely a straight line driver where he just where what he does is put it down, and doesn't change directions that well as a ball handler. So that's where he's going to have to be better at. And he's a rock solid um, team defender, but better off the ball than on the ball. So I would not have this guy guarding my best players because he will get killed easily. Uh, 14th pick is James Bulkite of the Yukon Huskies. This is the, this is the 14th projected prospect. We only went through the 14 um, because remember in the NBA lottery, it's 14 teams. So we're just going through the 14 players that are projected on the Mike Schmitz, Jonathan Gavoni, ESPN's best available. So the 14th is James Boat, Boat Knight, and he has nice size. He's a shooting guard 6'5", from the Yukon Huskies. Um, by the way, fun fact, do you know who came from the Yukon Huskies and was picked 10th in the 2011 NBA draft, um, Tavon? Ooh, I don't think so. It's Kimball Walker. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah well, so, he is from Exactly. So so I mean, um, but I don't know if this guy's gonna be projected tit though. Um you know he, he is he is one of the best he was one of the best scorers in the country last year. He's smooth with the ball in his hands. He changes speeds and directions impressively. He's a shot maker that can um get to a pull off off of various different moves. He's got elite hesitation move going left, but just left. He's a creative finisher. So he can finish off either foot, um, and he has a floater game. Here's where he's going to have to improve, though. He's got a tendency to fade in and out of games in the past, so he's not where you would be a guy that could trust him in these games. He's a jump shot shooter. is It's very streaky at times. Defense has to be better. He has to be a better scorer off the dribble. And he's shown glimpses as a facilitator, but he has more turnovers than assists during his career. So he has to get better as a de- uh, as a developer, as a pastor to be a facilitator. All right. So now that we've gotten through all 14 of the NBA draft lottery prospects, and we've now covered NHL, we covered the Euros, um, we're going to now go to WWE NXT last night. It was just one show of wrestling. Uh, this show was built around Kylo Reilly versus Kushida for the main event. Um, Tavon, before we get into the show, what did you think of this show promoting the Great American Bash two weeks away?
1: I I think it's pretty, um, cool.
0: I, I thought this show was good for the first hour, and then I felt the second hour they were just, like, dying. Because I guess they were, like, I just felt like the second hour they just... It, it, I'm not going to say they kind of gave up, but they were just like, they didn't really have anything planned outside of Kyle O'Reilly and Kushida. And and there were some things that I've noticed. Um, For example, you know, Bobby Fish cut that promo on NXT, I believe, what was it, like a couple of weeks ago, like saying he was going to get back at Oni Lorcan. And Oni yeah. Lorcan was in a tag match tonight. And I'm just like, was it. Bobby Fish is supposed to get his revenge on Oni. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of we like
1: seen...
0: they forgot about that. Exactly. So poor Bobby Fish. Um, here's how the show started, though. It started with um Adam Cole. He came out and, you know, he mentioned his assault and attack by Samoa Joe last week. Cole warned Samoa Joe that he is the king of NXT. And then he defeats Kyle O'Reilly. He will be called the greatest ever in NXT. Nobody can change his mind. Cole was interrupted by Carmelo Hayes. Um, like Cole, Hayes has a microphone. Hayes said Cole might not know who he is, but Hayes um, knows Cole is NXT. Hayes said he could change Cole's mind. Hayes spoofed the John Cena debut where he said ruthless aggression, except he said it same energies then slapped Adam Cole like Cena did Angle over what was it now? Close to two decades ago? Good God, man. We're getting old. Um, And Adam Cole beat Carmelo Hayes. It was a decent match. I wish that they would have gave Carmelo Hayes more offense because we knew Adam Cole was going to win, but Carmelo Hayes should have had more offense. And I felt like at times he, he had offense, and then before the commercial break, Adam Cole got the heat. Then after the commercial break, Adam Cole got the heat, and then they gave Carmelo Hayes like a minute back of a hot streak and then they just like, I'm cool, kill him. What did you think of this match?
1: Well, I thought of this match, um, it was a good match. I liked the um opening um <laughs> segment. I liked it when um Carmelo Hayes <laughs> pretty much did a little tribute to John Cena. That I'm pretty sure that brings a lot of memories. To the old ruthless aggression Era fans. That that was pretty much that was pretty much cool.
0: Yeah. Um, finish though came with um, a panam um, with Hayes um, hitting a springboard off the middle rope and Cole struck him out of midair with a super kick and then hit the Panama sunrise for the victory. Um so then next up we had nothing but segments and segments and segments. It was Frankie Monet um, backstage chatting with Des- Jesse Kamea and Aaliyah. Fun fact, did you, do you want to know how Jesse Kamea got her WWE job? Diva Search? No. She was a volleyball um, athlete ah. in college for Division One, and WWE scouted her because she was hmm. tall. And she's been there now for five years. Aaliyah has been there close to seven years.
1: Yeah, she's been there since the beginning of, like, the Performance Center.
0: Very. Um... And it didn't look like these women were going to get no call-ups or nothing because it looks like they're just – to me, this looks like they're just now getting ready to be with Frankie Monet because they keep, like, doing all these segments without Robert Stone and then Robert Stone shows up, like, a minute too late. Yeah, it looks like going- Frankie
1: Monet is trying to stir up the pot and, like, break up the Robert Stone brand. <laughs>
0: uh, I know, yeah. I mean, I mean, here's my thing, though, about the Robert Stone thing. If he was a wrestler still, I would say he'd be fine, but if oh, he's not Robert a wrestler – Robert Stone used to whistle? Whistle? Yeah, as Robbie E. in Impact.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That does explain his um, Twitter in- interactions with Mickey James. <laughs> exactly, yeah.
0: Um. I will say, though, this here, you know, if he was still a wrestler, I would say he'd be fine. But now they've been made where Robert Stone hasn't even wrestled in, like, years. Now, he had, like, one match with Rhea Ripley last year, but that was, like, yeah, like a 2 that was one
1: a, Yeah, that was a handicap match.
0: Exactly. Yeah. It was all comedy, and it was nothing serious, but... And, and Robert Stone, you know, now, you know, he, he now owns a gym with his wife in Florida where, you know, Deanna Perrazzo and Cassie Lee and Jesse McKay, they all go for workouts and stuff, which, you know, I, I guess, I guess he'll be fine, but, you know, it's not like on the main roster they want a manager. And they're not, and they don't want two managers on NXT because Malcolm Bevins, who we'll get into later, is getting ready to yep. be manage, is getting ready to be managing the top group. Um, or getting ready to manage a group. Um, so then um, Monet, you know, so then Robert Stone came in. He was looking for everyone, and then Monet um, said that, "Look here," she said, "I'm just wishing everybody good luck." She gave a high five to Kamea and Aaliyah. Then she gave Stone a high five, and then Presley snapped at him, and Stone <laughs> is shocked to terrified. He's like, "So, so um, the dog doesn't even like Robert Stone." So I, I actually couldn't blame the dog. I was like, I was like. I was like, if I'm this dog, I don't have no reason to like it neither. So, um,
1: <laughs> Pretty um, much, it was like Robert Stone was scared of that e- dog. <laughs>
0: exactly, but, but at the same time, though, you know, you got to really be a terrible person for Presley not to like you. You know, that dog liked um, Shotzi and them and likes Mackenzie Mitchell, but doesn't like Robert Stone, so, so it's actually <laughs> something Robert Stone did. Um, Zoe Stark, in an interview with McKenzie Mitchell, talked about teaming with Io Shirai. Um, McKinsey Mitchell asked, why did you help Eo out? And Zoe Stark said, Look here, I helped EO because Eo gave me my first big break here. Then Io Shirai came in and Eo Shirai said, I don't like you and left. And Zoe said, Well, we don't need to get along. We just need to have respect for each other. I'm like I'm like, she just came in here and just said she don't like you. So there's some <laughs> respect. She don't respect you at all. She just said, I don't like you. Like that's pretty fucked up. Um, then we had a vignette for the million dollar champion, LA Knight. Um, which was fine, but I didn't give a shit for it. <laughs> and then Cameron Grimes shows up later, and Cameron Grimes gets out of his car and starts giving money to people that just asked how Ted DiBiase is. And then Trey Baxter, who is the former Blake Christian, um, made fun of Ted DiBiase, he called him like grandpa, and Cameron Grimes hit him and then threw money at him. So I don't get anything about the million dollar championship feud. I will say this here, Tavon, this is literally the fourth singles title. On NXT, because they treat it like the fourth singles title. Kashida gets more respect as a champion than these guys do. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And then, of course, the way um, makes their way to the ring. Johnny Gargano and Austin Theory came, for, came to the ring for a promo. Gargano said it was exciting times under new management in town and said that they needed a new NXT champion. He claimed it was paradise and he was NXT champion for 57 days. Which I would have never said that number out loud because I actually do remember Gargano had a short reign, and I believe his reign was shorter than Sami Zayn's. So that's embarrassing, then. I would have never said that number out loud. Uh, Gargano ranted about being better than Karrion Cross. Then out came Pete Dunne with Oni Lorkin, And then, of course, you know, Pete Dunne and Oni Lorcan were getting ready to fight um, Theory and Gargano. I did love him. Dunn said to Austin Theory to shut up because he would say what we were all feeling. Austin Austin Theory does is just talk. Like, I was like, thank God. I, was, I would have liked what he said to Gargano too because Gargano talks more. But um, then Gargano said that we're not going to fight because he said we're a law-abiding citizens. And they were not going to compete um, – no longer participate in shenanigans or hijinks because Samoa Joe will then choke them out. So Gargano said there are rules for a reason, Peter, and then Gargano gently put down the microphone to the left. Theory was supposed to leave with him, but instead Theory talks shit to Pete Dunn, and theory, uh, theory gets his fingers broken. So that was pretty funny to see. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it, it was, and then, of course, they go to um, the general Ma- – and then general manager William Regal argued with Adam Cole about Samoa Joe. So it seems like they they're keep building Samoa Joe up for either Pete Dunn or Adam Cole. It's not Carrying Cross right now that we know, so that's good. But we don't but we don't know because because Adam Cole just left um, William Regal and said that he was not going to cause any trouble. And then the way went to see Regal, William Regal. And Johnny Gargano said, Austin, knock on the door. Austin said, I can't, my fingers are broken. He said, Okay, I'll do it. And then and then Gargano said, Hey, Mr. Regal. He said, He said, Hey, I got you a new pencil. He said, He, said, hey, he really wanted to make sure about that. He said, I got you this new pencil. He said, he said, he said, he said Did you see what Pete Judd did out there to my friend? And he's like, he's like, he's like, what are you gonna do about it? He said, you gotta six someone, you want him? And then and then William Regal said, No. And then William Regal got up. He's like, oh, you're going to handle it. He said, you got brass knuckle him." he said, no. He said, I'm making a tag team match. And then Johnny Gargano and Austin Theory <laughs> were upset. Theory's like saying, my fingers. <laughs> and, then, and then next thing. Um, so that was actually a pretty funny segment. And then uh, we had Io Shirai and Zoe Stark defeat Jesse Kamea and Aaliyah. Fun fact, we didn't get a match to like the 48-minute, 50-minute mark. So we had nothing but segments. Um, Mm. Too many segments between a match. Um, Shirai Kamea. the match um, wasn't even really good to talk about. Um, Shirai won with the moonsault after, you know, Zoe Stark hit um, her signature move. And Candice Ray and Indy Hartwell watched from ringside, the tag team champions of NXT. And, uh, you know, I actually have liked about NXT the last two weeks for the women. We don't have no Dexter Loomis bullshit. (laughs) <laughs> I think they actually learned their lesson. i am so happy they learned their lesson finally. I'm like I'm like poor I'm like Indy Hartwell is actually now focused. They're not making it a joke no more. They're actually trying to come off more serious and I like that. Mm-hmm. Um so then what happened next? Of course, Rue and Hartwell getting Ray Gale on the apron to fight Shirai and Stark. Then NXT women's champion Raquel Gonzalez and Dakota Kai come to the ring and then tell um Shirai and Stark that that they were the next in line for the tag team championships, then Shotzi and Ember come out, and this is where bad promos just began because Amber Moon really, mm. this really cheesy promo, <laughs> and she said, and she was like saying what, like she was like an actor, not mm. as a like not like she sounded so fake. Shotzi <laughs> Shotzi didn't like her words are just not coming off good neither, and then everybody got into a huge brawl except the women's tag team champions. And then Samoa Joe was right beside them. And then Samoa Joe just got officials to break it up. And then we had an NXT tag team championship match announced for the Great American Bash in two weeks. MSK defends against uh, Champa and Thatcher at the Bash, so that's good. I don't know if MSK is losing the championships. Would you put the nah. championships? No, I no don't, you wouldn't put them on there yet?
1: I don't. Wait. No, no, no. no I'm, I'm, what I was about to say was I don't see, I don't see Tomas and Timothy winning them from them.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I don't see it yet happening neither. I still feel like the Grizzled Young Veterans are going to win these championships, believe it or not. I just don't mm. know when they're going to have the Grizzled Young Veterans win because they keep teasing Grizzled Young Veterans in SK, so that's why. Um, mm. Exactly. And then, next up, we had Johnny Gargano and Austin Theory take on Pete Dunne and Oni Lorcan. Um, actually, this was probably the second best match of the entire show. This really was, like, a really good match. The weird part about this match, though, was it was a heel versus heel tag match, and the fans Johnny Gargano's comeback in the last five minutes of this match.
1: Yeah, of course, because everybody pretty much likes Johnny wrestling.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and here's the thing here. If he just shut the fuck up and just actually was just a wrestler... I think he would probably be the most over babyface of the company, but because they make him be a gimmick that he sucks at, we're gonna have to keep dealing with this. So yeah,
1: so yeah, at this point, yeah, Johnny Gargano and Austin Theory—the way they pretty much need to turn face.
0: They definitely do. Here's my issue though with the Austin Theory thing. They're, Austin Theory did do good for his part because all he did was just like sell his beating, and he took a lot of the heat. My only problem was, though, that, like, I just wish he didn't take all the heat and shit, and I wish he actually had some offense, because when Pete Dunne was in the ring, he just got his ass whooped. When Oni got in the ring, he got his ass whooped. But it was the second best match of the night. The reason I'm not saying it's the best match is because Theory took so much heat. And and Theory, on the offensive end, he when I mean, he was getting his comeback, in, he looked really good. And he even hit a... Um, Spanish fly off the top rope, which which really looked like a slinky like move it did, Tabla, because when he did this Spanish fly, it just looked like he it just looked like he just looked like a slinky. He looks like Griff Garrison. mean, he does like a hot tag. That's what mm. Austin Theory is when he does a hot tag. He looks like Griff Garrison. Not bad. It's just it just looks a little weird. That's all. Um of course Gargano did Tope Suicidas. He did um, – he, he hit a beautiful Tornado DDT outside the ring on – done from the um, – outside the second rope. He followed up with one final beat on Lorcan for the three count. And then after the match, Karrion Cross gave him just a straight forearm to Gargano and attacked him. And then Austin Theory just went over to Gargano, and Gargano played dead. And then uh, and then Karrion Cross just looked at Theory. And so I guess we're going to get Austin um, – so I guess we're going to get Johnny Gargano – Carrying across from the NXT Championship. How do you feel about that?
1: I feel pretty good about it. It's a good match. I mean, it'll probably happen at the great NXT, the great American Bash. I probably would have saved that for TakeOver Las Vegas because, I mean, there's going to be a sold-out crowd there. Everybody's well, well, going to be what, cheering. For well, they're not Germany. going to Las
0: Vegas. They're, they're, they're actually, they're actually going to stay in the Capitol Wrestling Center. Oh, they will? Yeah the the, uh, the reason why is because they they don't want to get compared to the main roster. Oh but damn. here's but they here's but this whole thing again. <laughs> but but here's but here's the reason why they're saying that because what was the day before on Saturday takeovers and then what came the next day you had the WWE shows. And then everyone would say on Twitter main roster try to beat this. Which is what happened because people on the main roster got jealous. So so they have to say that. So so the takeover um, one will probably be either the next Sunday after or that Saturday. But it's going to stay in Florida. So, And mm. they are staying in the Capital Wrestling Center. They're not going back to full sale. Um, mm. I don't know what happened with the full sale issue. Probably um, might have been a contract issue, but I don't know what happened. But they're not going back there. Mm. Exactly. That's a I, shame. I, it is because I like full sale. I actually did full sale actually had full sale looked bigger than what this is. Yeah. It's not it's it's nothing wrong with the Capital Wrestling Center. It's not wrong with the Performance Center, whatever you want to call it, but I like Full Sale better because Full Sale it looked more it looked more where people were in there. And this it's darker. And I don't like darker settings. I like to see more people in light. So it's very upsetting. Um announced for next Tuesday. A triple threat, um, number one um, contenders tag team match. The winners face Candice and Indy at the Great American Bash for the Tag Team Championships. It's Io Shirai, Zoe Stark versus Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez versus Ember Moon and Shotzi Blackheart. So uh, if I know WWE right, I'm guessing Shirai and Stark will win or Moon and Blackheart will. So that's how it's going to go. And then next up, we had the um, Internet Wrestling Community… D's horny match of the night, or probably of the month, or probably of the year, it was Electra Lopez, who is known as Cara Rivers, who, by the way, was on WWE television last year at the beginning of January during the Bobby Lashley-Lana wedding, Then she said she was Bobby Lashley's wife, and then Lana beat her up. (laughs) Exactly. And on the Off the Top Rope Facebook group chat, which, Tavon, you should go sign up to be on... Um, everybody was wondering who the hell was the beautiful woman that Frankie Monet was wrestling. So, here's how this match was to people of the internet wrestling community that are just horny guys. Um, Lopez's boobs were about to pop out. of Valkyrie's boobs were about to pop out. Um, Lopez did a very sexy dance. Uh, Taya Valkyrie's boobs were about to pop out. Um, so everybody kind of won in this match. I actually enjoyed the match. Um, it, it was a short match. Frankie Monet's entrance was also talked about on Twitter very, very hard because everyone loves it. For some reason, everyone keeps saying Iggy Azalea is doing this song, but I know it's not Iggy Azalea because they can't afford Iggy Azalea like that. Or they do, but they're not going to pay rights for this. Um, but it's, but I like Frankie Monet's music. I, I'm not big on the name. I've said that. Uh, Monet pinned Lopez with the Grand Slam, that's Beth Phoenix's old finisher, mm-hmm. Um, in the encore of Monet's world premiere. Fun fact, Wade Barrett said on commentary that Frankie Monet's um, world premiere did huge box office draws. Whenever you look back at the NXT ratings for that episode, the ratings were down on that show, and the 1849 mm. was down, so... I don't know what the fuck Wade Barrett was talking about, but I would have never said that. <laughs> I would have oh, never said man. some shit like that. I'm like – like there's times where, where you can get away with their cheesy shit, but I would have never said that though. Um, NXT North American champion Bronson Reed was being interviewed by Mackenzie Mitchell, and he was wondering why the hell Santos Escobar wants to keep fighting him because he's already squished him into so many things. And then Everett, and then um, Hit Row showed up, and they tried to intimidate Bronson Reed. It was top dollars AJ Francis who um, was trying to intimidate Bronson Reed, and then um, they just left. Ever-Rise in a skit from earlier on Twitter, um, which I didn't even see this, um, they were about to spray paint the SUV of Hit Row, and Ever-Rise, um, Matt Martell, had a coffee mug in his hand. And and Chase Parker said, he said, he said they're going to notice you with a coffee cup. And then they put on their mask... And one of them had their mask still showing their whole face, and then – and then literally you can literally hear the yelling of Matt Martell saying, saying, take this, Dollar King, and then top dollar rolls down the window. He said, said you know, if you're going to like try to spray paint my vehicle, you could at least put on a different shirt, and then they just <laughs> ran away like a bunch of pussies. So I'm like, OK, like this didn't tell me nothing, and then hit row. Ever Rise quickly in a squash match which I'm glad they did because if they didn't I would've been pissed. Um but yeah, it it was just it was it, what did you what did, what is your thoughts on Ever Rise table? I've always wanted to ask what is your thoughts on this Ever Rise group because to me they're not funny and they're very very like dark orders Alex Reynolds and John Silver. That's what they're trying to be.
1: <laughs> um let's see. Yeah, I mean not gonna lie. I mean they're they're kind of a mixed bag to me. Like they're not they're not necessarily top stars. They're not necessarily someone that I could necessarily root for. They don't really um they didn't really have much story when I first seen them from last year. Mm-hmm. But it's like I don't know. Maybe maybe they're just serviceable I-, I could say. I mean they're serviceable jobbers at least. I mean sure they've won matches on 205 Live, but to me, I mean if you were yeah. if you were if you were to ask me between between who would I rather have be who would I rather say is better, Kai and Tai or Everwise, I have to say Kai and Tai, because at least Kai and Tai, I mean, Everwise to me, I mean, they're a little bit funny, but Kai and Tai was funnier. At least Taka had a girlfriend, and Kai and Tai was way more edgier than
0: Everwise.
1: So, and, what, yeah. and what
0: made them funny was they they always had a different voice. They never talked in their real voice. That's what made them funny.
1: Yeah, pretty because, much because
0: because, because 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 and then Paul Heyman would be on commentary saying that's not even their real voice. And Jim Ross would be like, "Oh, come on, Paul, have a heart!" Like, <laughs> so so actually, so actually, Kai and Ty are actually really funny, and they and Kai and Ty were actually really better in the ring too because Funaki is a very good wrestler. So mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I, I don't I, I, to me there there's so much Alex Reynolds and John Silver of Dark War. That's all that they, they do. And I feel like Alex Reynolds and John Silver, they don't even be this cheesy on BTE. And BTE is a really cheesy show, but it's not like their comedy's fake on BTE. So. Mm. Uh, Mercedes Martinez was interviewed by Mackenzie Mitchell. For some reason, we had so many fucking interviews tonight. I don't understand what was up with this show. See, this is what I was mentioning, Tavon. I just felt like the second hour, they really didn't have anything planned. They just did interviews. That's all they did. And um, Mercedes Martinez was interviewed by Mackenzie Mitchell. She said William Regal booked next week a mixed tag match between Xia Lee and Boa. um, And Mercedes Martinez was surprised and upset by the news. And then she said, okay. She said, so I'll beat up both of them. She said, I don't know who I'm going to get as a tag partner. And then Xia Lee attacked her from behind. And then Boa literally just points his finger and said, that's what you get for messing with us. And then Jake Atlas kicks him. And Jake Atlas picks her up. He said, now you got a partner for next week. I understand why they did that. Because of Pride Month, and if you don't know people, Jake Atlas is actively openly bisexual, mm-hmm. and Mercedes Martinez is um, actively openly lesbian. And Tony Storm, congratulations to her, came out as bisexual herself on the NXT's mm-hmm. um, um, Twitter um, and Instagram. So I'm actually very proud of that. So I actually like that. I honestly wish they did a women's tag next week, because here's why I would have said that. Because you could have built off Tony Storm's big reveal and had her come save um, Mercedes Martinez and you could have had the thousand year old woman with Zia Lee next week as a debut. Instead, they didn't want to build off the Tony Storm thing, and they could have made Tony Storm a babyface that night. Because Tony Storm on the um, on the Instagram of the NXT, you know, came off as a baby face and on Twitter and stuff, she was coming off as a baby face. So I would have just yeah. went ahead and just put Tony Storm as I, – I, if I was like Triple H or Shawn Michaels, I would have said, get out there, go help Zia Lee real quickly or go kick Boa's head off real quick. And that would have worked because then Tony Storm would have really got popped, and then that would have really been like, oh, St- Tony Storm made a save and all this. You know, I would have kept building off that. I don't know why WWE didn't do that. I don't know why. Yeah, instead, unfortunately. Triple H, instead, Triple H just congratulated Tony Storm, but I was upset. I was like – I was like, man, Tony Storm got screwed tonight. I'm like uh, – and and, no, and, yeah. and, and and for people that are saying like, you know, oh, bury Jake Atlas. I'm not trying to bury Jake Atlas. I'm just saying that the last time we saw Jake Atlas, Tavon, on NXT, he was literally beating LA Knight for the million uh, – he was literally beating LA Knight, which mm-hmm. I don't know why he's not a number one contender for this belt. But that should really tell you something if the guy that beat LA Knight less than a month ago – doesn't even want to face LA Knight for that championship. That should tell you a lot. Mm. Exactly. So that that should. I'm just saying. Um, then we had that battery charging damn thing. It's now at 51%. So I guess someone's going to be debuting at the Great American Bash. Probably. That's all it that would tell. I don't know who. Um, Kylo Riley defeated the NXT um, cruiserweight champion Kushida in a non-title match. This match was actually the best match of the night, and I really loved it. They started off with awesome chain wrestling. Great grappling in the beginning. Then the pace quickened. This is what I like in a wrestling match right here, Tavon. I liked it. It was good. They went back and forth. Then they got back from the commercial, okay? Then they really picked up the fucking intensity and then gave some strikes, trade holds, brain buster by O'Reilly for a near fall. Kushida went on to smash O'Reilly's arm in the ring post. Kushida targeted the arm even further. O'Reilly was suplexed on the apron by Kushida. That's the only part I did not like about that because I don't like wrestlers taking bad neck bumps off that apron. I just don't – I am guess I'm getting more older now where I'm like like now seeing like look here. Like you don't have to do this because cause when I listen to Ric Flair and these guys now – because of course, you know, the, the number one ultimate bump taker was Mick Foley. You and I both know this. Yep, and, pretty and, much. And, 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 and he's a crazy motherfucker. And in on the Stone Cold um, Steve Austin podcast, which you can see on Peacock, folks, he was saying that a lot of that pain didn't hurt him. And he said the only one that really hurt him was the Hell in a Cell one. Hmm. But the Burning Table, he gave a one. The Hell in a Cell, he gave a ten. You know, he gave that. Um, the the announced table bump against Shawn Michaels in your house, he gave a three. The um, eight, the bumps that he took on the barricade on the floor, he gave a four. He didn't. He didn't care about the pain like that. You know, even when he lost half his ear,
1: you know, mm-hmm.
0: he he gave it a four. And he it said was the broken. Pain Exactly. And he and the pain. He said was a ten when he was wrapped into the ropes. He said when he lost the ear. He said it was only a four. And Ric Flair, ladies and gentlemen, if you did not watch the Mick Foley A and E biography about him, Ric Flair was backstage in that WCW show, and they were literally, and it was literally in another country. And Rick Flair told Mick Foley, he said, Mick, you don't have to do these bumps. And Rick is telling him, like, Rick, look here. This is a house show. There's not even five hundred people in here. He said, Why the fuck are you doing this stupid shit? So Mick Foley did that spot where he always got his neck caught up in the rope. And then Rick and then and then they asked Rick, Rick, what was your thoughts when he lost F Ear? Rick said, Stupid motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> So Rick, Rick was like, you know what, fuck him. He said, fuck him, I don't give a shit for him to help. He's like, he's like, this stupid motherfucker don't listen. And, 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 and if you talk to Rick Flair and these guys, they tell you that they don't want you taking these bumps and shit because you're going to really feel it. And you will feel it. You are going to feel the fucking bumps and shit. Like, for example, Leo Rush is someone who does you know, a beautiful, beautiful, like, man, he goes outside, Man, he's on top of the top rope going on the outside and does the double knees to the ground on an opponent. That shit can give, get you double knee surgery quickly. Mm. Because literally, on the outside, there's not a lot of protection. So I do look at, like, the apron thing, and I look at, like, man, I would have not taken that bump if I'm Kyler Riley. And then, of course, uh, finish came with Kushida attempting a hoverboard lock. O'Reilly um, fought to block it as he tried to roll through, and then O'Reilly grabbed a hole of his trunks to block the submission hold, and then O'Reilly then caught Kushida for a cradle for the deciding pinfall. I like the finish. I even like that it was a roll-up pinfall, and it was actually a perfect way to protect Kushida. I know people will make fun and say, well, it's another rolling pinfall again, but you know what? It was a smart one, so I don't have a problem with it. Then after the match, um, Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly fought each other and Broad and Samoa Joe told him to break it up. And then um, the Diamond Mind attacked Kushida, which is why well, – I'm wondering where the hell was Samoa Joe in this? Because shouldn't Samoa Joe – if he had turned around, he would have saw that Kushida was getting his ass beat like by like three men. So, of course, Roderick Strong, Tyler Russ, and the debuting um, Hideki Suzuki ah,
1: laid, that's out who Kish- he is.
0: Yep, laid out Kushida. And the new faction stood over Kushida. Malcolm Bevins is going to be managing the Diamond Mine. He picked up the Cruiserweight Championship, gave it to Strong. Strong glanced at it, and the Diamond Mine's here, and they have, and they already got their eyes set on the Cruiserweight Championship, which made me like think, okay, so the Million Dollar Championship is the fourth title, and this, and the championship is more what you It's more fitting. It it, 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 you know, the Cruiserweight Champion is being protected better. Hmm. So, um what did you what is your thoughts on the new Diamond Mine, um, Tavon?
1: I was pretty much shocked that um Wadrick Strong was a um part of the Diamond Mine. I was wondering when the last time I saw him, it was like he talked to William Weigless and I'm um, hey man, I'm leaving. And then and then now we see him and he's paired up with Tyler Russ and Malcolm Vivens and of course, Suzuki. I mean, it's just like, wow, that was that was actually a good twist there. We we actually we actually got a new stable in the making. And
0: we actually do, and 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 I will say this here though. Now, now we can get to the part about the Robert Stone thing. In WWE, they're not going to keep letting managers keep managing like this because we already got b Fab with the Hit Row. We already got. Evidence now with um Diamond Mine. So Robert Stone is literally gonna be off TV now. So mm-hmm. he's gonna be. He's just gonna be now, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that's just how it's going. You know, it's it, it's nothing personal, it's just you know WWE, especially on the main roster, you know Vince is not dealing with no managers right now. You, you know he's not. I mean MVP yeah. and Paul Heyman are considered business guys, so but they talk Vince language. If they didn't talk Vince language, they would not be managing nobody. So mm. and also the woman I actually mispronounced um, her name it was Carista R- Rivera, who was the one that took on Frankie Monet. It was Carista mm. Rivera, so um, just making sure to get that right. Um, Frankie Monet though did an appearance on the Wrestling Inc daily and discussed her name change. She said, "I really fought hard for Taya, but sometimes it's time to evolve and change and kind of make this new chapter in my life." I feel like that was the time for it. It's a little bit sad at first because I feel like she died, but she's always a part of me. Frankie is just an evolution of Taya definitely. Anybody who knows my career knows that it's just natural transition into Frankie Monet. Um, I-, I won't say that yet because she didn't say huevo la in her match, <laughs> and she did in her first match. So that tells me that they already told her to stop saying that shit. So I'm oh, very concerned God. about that. Well, I'm, And I am concerned because now that she's not going to be Taya Valkyrie from Impact Wrestling. And, and for anybody that thought that she was going to keep her name, I don't know why anybody thought that. But I thought they were going to at least let her keep Taya. Now, I understand why they couldn't let her keep Valkyrie because they already got a woman named Amos Valkyrie on the, on the NXT UK. So I understand why they didn't let her keep her last name, but I wouldn't let her keep her first name. Because, because if you just call her Taya, no one's not going to know anything. Um, yeah. And then Kushida um, reflected on facing Kyle O'Reilly last night on NXT. Kushida wrote that he was considering retirement around twenty seventeen because he was concerned about his physical and mental health after every match. Hmm. So it was actually so it actually was a dream for him to face Kyle O'Reilly. My only problem with this was when they did like the little two minute like videos for him and O'Reilly on last night's show, it would have been so much better if they gave it a two week build. But this was just off of a off a one week build and you know, I felt like this show is not going to do good in ratings, and I don't know the ratings off the top of my head. I'm I'm gonna check and see if they even have the ratings out because because of course you know after you know Daily Buzz went down, um, ratings have been so hard to find. Um, so no, there's no ratings out right now for NXT, but I don't think NXT did great in ratings because there were so many interviews and there was so much backstage segments. And that took away from the show because if you're seeing that much – and remember, the NBA game was on at 9 p.m. And the NBA draft lottery was on at 8.30. That was enough time for an NBA fan to go switch over and then come back and still not miss no matches. So um, I I definitely think that. Um, 25 years ago today, Tavon, do you want to know what happened? What happened? Stone Cold Steve Austin, 1996, came to the ring. Austin 316 oh, yeah. was born. Austin 316 was bored. Um, during a Twitter Q and A, a fan asked CM Punk if what would it take for him to appear on the Austin Broken Skull Session on Peacock. This is what CM Punk responded with: "Money. Nobody gets any royalties from anything shown on Peacock. Nobody. Yay, wrestling biz. <laughs> uh, <laughs> would you like to see CM Punk on a episode of the Broken Skull Sessions?"
1: I mean I would I would love to. I mean it would be um it would be interesting to um to see um how much he digs deeper into what had transpired throughout his career, you know, and all that stuff with Vince and
0: yeah. Yeah, I, I would definitely love to see that. I actually am very shocked that that Stone Cold Steve Austin has never said, you know what, I really want CM Punk because he got Chris Jericho on there. So I know he can get CM Punk on there. If he can get if he can get Jericho from AEW on there, there's no reason he can't get And that get was Punk
1: shocking when um Chris Jericho was on the Broken Skull sessions.
0: And they and they aired that show the night after WrestleMania night two. Which of course gave AEW that million rating bump for two weeks. Hmm. So definitely. Um and then, um, of course, in an interview with The Metro, Rey Mysterio said he's not interested in wrestling against the son minute. Remember, people, he said he's not interested. Vince is the one that has the final call at the end of the day. So, so I don't want to hear that shit. He did talk – he said – we actually talked about this a while back when, when my son started training. He said, the more and more we got spent time together in the ring and outside the ring, it came to the point where me and my son were like, there's no need. The connection here is so beautiful. The love more than a father and son. I think that we're best friends for the moment. There's no time for us to be even thinking about how would it be to face each other face-to-face. I get where he's going, but you and I both know they're going to break up the tag team anyway. And you know after WrestleMania, they would love to make a pop. And have Dominic just attack Mysterio, um, attack Ray. And then we get, uh, and, and I think Ray and Dominic would actually have great matches. I think they would. It would actually be very, yeah. it would actually be something, it would actually be finally something where we're not seeing Vince and Shane McMahon. It would actually be a real father son fight. Because Vince mm-hmm. and Shane are technically not wrestlers. So mm-hmm. that's why. A new WWE writer. His name is Kent Mobley. He appeared on the Asian Not Asian podcast. Okay, I've already got a problem with this name because I'm, I'm not trying to be – I'm not going to say the word, but, but we all know what I mean. Calling yourself that is like me calling this show, Keeping It 200, Black But Not Black Podcast. <laughs> been, Basically. Then literally everybody on this show that has ever, has ever been on here is black. Tavon's black. I'm black and Hispanic. Um – what else? Who else? Um, Blackheart's black. Trey Hart, uh, Trey is black. Like that would be like us calling ourselves black, but not black. Um, <laughs> there's an issue with that. That's there's a real issue with that, and I'm not gonna say anything because then, because because then, then, I might get some hate mail like Blackheart did. But um, mm. but yeah. But so they so he spoke about being hired by WWE. He said that it's all. He said that um. He said it's always been a dream of his. And he said that he's also a surprise. He said, they do not require me to do anything about wrestling, but I do have a background in film production and comedy writing. And they're like, perfect, come on in. So this poor guy is going to probably be writing wrestling comedy skits in the next six months. He better be funny. You really yeah, better be fucking funny, hopefully.
1: then. Hopefully.
0: <laughs> if he's not funny, then we're having that. we're going to remember his name and be like, okay, this motherfucker said he had a comedy thing. He's not funny at all to me. Like, <laughs> I'm going to remember that shit. I'm actually literally saving this in my favorites just to make sure to get back at this motherfucker in six months. It's actually a bad comedy joke. Um, what else do we have? Uh, Joey Janella. Did you see what happened to him, Tavon?
1: Um, yeah, the whole girl in cinema thing? <laughs> uh,
0: no, no, he's actually made the 5 o'clock news um, oh. in Florida, because here's what happened with Joe Janela. He was kicked out of a Seminole County school board meeting for oh trolling. God. and here's what Joey Janela <laughs> did. Okay, so if you don't know, former NXT referee Drake Warts is a guy that wants to be for Seminole County. He wants to start – He the whole thing about Seminole County and Florida people is they want kids to not go to sc- – they want kids to go to school without wearing a mask because according to Drake Younger or Drake Warts, whatever the fuck you want to call him, you can call him dumbass if you feel like it. That's that's more of the appropriate term, so we're going to call him dumbass. This dumbass <laughs> claims that if you wear a mask, child predators are more likely to get your kids. This made zero sense. So of course, Joey Janela dressed like an actual person from Florida. He wore. He, Florida a man. Like, yeah, he well, he dressed like Larry the Cable Guy, pretty much, or Jeff Foxworthy. <laughs> and this guy took a picture with Drake Younger, and Drake Younger didn't even recognize him. He never did. And Drake mm. Younger's like smiled at a picture with him, and then Joey Janela is like literally yelling in the thing and saying like. Well, my kids shouldn't have to wear this. And then, and then was also, and then he got on Instagram and said, "I saw a kid wearing a mask and he had a dog leash around him at Universal Studios." <laughs> 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 so, this is like, this, is actually, this is actually pretty cute. I actually like that. Um, and then Joey Janelle was kicked out. And you know how long you know how long he lasted in the Seminole County School Board meeting? One minute. Five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually very funny. I actually, I actually will say this here: it's funny, um, and I get what he was doing. It's funny as hell. Um, of course, Joe Janelle is auctioning off his disguise that he wore. He said that the auction um, is going to um, fight for the um, rep- um, re- reproduction freedom. Um, to so, yeah, he's he's just going to sell it. So. Um, he's, mm. he's selling it for do, um, for for oxygen, so so he's gonna go to um, donations, so that's good. Um, and then of course, AEW on their YouTube channel has a first look at their replica AEW World Ch- um, Championship title belt. That's now available for pre-order. This replica championship will cost you seven hundred dollars, tax and shipping not included. How do you feel about that?
1: Oof, that's. That's, well, I'll probably say way expensive, but that's, well, or at least expensive, but that's way expensive for a belt. It, I mean, it it, it it could be like probably like three hundred, two hundred, but seven hundred. I don't know about that.
0: Exactly. Um, I, I I don't know how I feel about this. I don't know how to feel about this. Um. Because the WWE replica championships go for about like thousand dollars. Well, well, they're well, they're about yeah, yeah, but yeah, but they always have them on sale. The only belt that was like really, really expensive was like that Bray Wyatt theme belt, oh, like 6000 dollars, it,
1: and it happens to be the worst belt.
0: <laughs> exactly, but 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 there were people that actually brought the damn thing, and I was like shocked. I'm like, you spent seven thousand dollars for that? I'm like, I would never do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess it's fine. I mean. Um, happy birthday to Brandy Rhodes who turns 38 today, and happy birthday to the former Billy Cage, Jesse McKay who turned 32 today.
1: Yeah, happy birthday to both. Oh, and speaking of Jessica McKay, she actually posted um <laughs> a picture.
0: Oh, uh, what picture? What picture she post? I, I'm I'm gonna go to the Twitter real quick. On oh, I, I I don't know why I said that, and I'll just go to the Twitter. <laughs> it was that. a nude. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I know she's talking about. Yeah, I saw that on Instagram.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Oh, oh yeah,
0: oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, she actually, yeah, she actually took the picture about two years ago, I think, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was like um for like modeling reasons. I mean, she got everything covered up, people. So, 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 so for the people, so for the people that think that Tavon just gave you a free horny pic, he didn't give you a free horny pic. He actually, <laughs> oh he actually... no,
1: no, no. I mean, granted, it's not, it's not um, granted, it's not certified. <laughs> Only, only fans, nude. I mean, it's just covered up, nude. That's all. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Exactly. I have to remind people because then, cause then watch someone come on here and be like, oh, uh, they talked about nudes on this show. Like, uh, motherfucker, we didn't talk about it. We just said what it was. We never said what it specifically was. So don't try to come at us today, people. Come on now. Warning, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, um, just
1: read carefully, you guys. E-
0: exactly. Read carefully into the lines. Read carefully into them. Anyways, um, NBA anniversaries that happened today. Ben Simmons was the first overall pick in the 2016 NBA draft five years ago. Mm. And now, five years later, he's getting roasted off his mind. So yeah, that's pretty, pretty sad much. Yeah. Um, Brandon Ingram was the number two pick. From the Duke Blue Devils, shout out to the Brotherhood. Uh, Jalen Brown, um, third overall pick from Boston. Fourth was Drager Bender, who's not even in the NBA anymore. Five was Chris Dunn. Six was Buddy Heal. Seven was Jamal Murray. Tavon, would you believe me if I said the last ten years, the seventh overall pick is basically like a bad luck pick because only Jamal Murray and Julius Randle are the actually only two guys that actually have had successful careers as the seventh overall pick. The rest have been all hit and misses. Yeah, I I probably would have believed you. Yeah, I'm just – I'm actually very shocked by that. The seventh overall pick, I mean. um, Tomorrow, though, in NBA history, um – well, I should close out the um, yeah. Well, well, I've got my 200 moment. Uh, I'm gonna give for the today. But also, the other moment that happened uh, June 23rd, 2005, the San Antonio Spurs won their third NBA championship when they beat the Detroit Pistons 81 to 74. It's one of the lowest scoring games in NBA finals history. Um, who won MVP that game? I believe. Um, the um, cause yeah, Chauncey Billups had nine, uh, had 13 points. Richard Hamilton had 15. Ben Wallace had 12, 11, and two blocks. Uh, Rasheed Wallace was 5-10 and with 11 points. Uh, Spurs, uh, Tim Duncan had 25. Manu Ginobili had 23 on 8 of 13. So we're actually going to see who won the NBA Finals MVP. It was actually Tim Duncan. It was 20 points, 14 rebounds, 2.1 blocks. Not bad for Tim Duncan. Congratulations, Tim Duncan, uh, 16 years ago today. So, very good. Um, any other good players? Oh, oh Demon Sabanis was picked 11th in this 2016 draft. Um, Malik Beasley, uh, Karis LeBert, Pascal Siakam was picked twenty seven by Toronto. So. And DeJounte Murray, 29th. Not bad. Not bad. Any good second-round picks? Uh, Hassan, no, no, I thought Hassan was in the second round. But Malcolm Brogdon was picked in the second round by the Milwaukee Bucks. And Brogdon is technically the fifth-best point guard in the league today. Um but that's pretty much it though. Um, but definitely though. Um, how about this year though? Tomorrow for NBA history. It actually, tomorrow in NBA history, Thursday, June twenty fourth, two thousand ten, John Wall was selected as the number one overall pick in the two thousand ten NBA draft. And Tavon, I actually remember this draft very well because five Kentucky Wildcats went into the first round. The five players was John Wall, Daniel Orton, Eric Blitzo, DeMarcus Cousins. And oh my goodness, I'm gonna kick myself for missing this answer because I'm just cheating now. Um, who was the fifth player? Got everybody else right. Got Orton. Got who was it? It was Orton, Cousins, Wall, Bledsoe. There's one other. People. Oh, Patrick Patterson. That's who it was. Yeah, I would have never gotten that one anyway. So, <laughs> and and also on this day, Dwight Howard. Uh, tomorrow will be the number one overall pick of the 2004 NBA Draft. Hmm. Exactly. And Shaquille O'Neal will be the 1992 first overall pick of the NBA Draft. Yeah. Wow, that's actually pretty awesome right there. That's actually some pretty awesome stuff happening tomorrow. But anyways, though, of course we've been talking nothing but um, hoops. We've gotten into all the discussions and everything. So... So, of course, we're going to go ahead and get to the 200 moment of the night. The 200 moment of the night tonight is not sponsored by Bud Light tonight. Um, or Miller Light. Sorry, I don't know why I said Bud Light. It's not sponsored by Miller Light tonight. It's actually going to be sponsored by Air Max. It's um, American Express. Remember, if an NBA player gets a triple-double tonight, you get 32% off in the NBA store right after that player scores. Just use Air Max. It's A M. EX32 Whenever I mean, a player gets a triple-double tonight So just make sure to be checking that out And our 200 Mom of the Night song Will be Good Life Kanye West T-Pain I always do it this time I go for mine I get the shine Let go your hands up in the sky I go for mine I get the
1: shine Let go your hands up in the sky
0: So for our 200th moment of the night, Tavon, the floor is yours like always.
1: All right, then, Sack. Well, so, um, yeah, I've already said before that, yeah, once again, I'm pretty much excited for fans to be coming back. And so while, we're, while I'm at it, um, I'm going to watch more um, more of the um, Attitude era stuff from the um past like I've did the past few weeks I've already watched some some of those 2001 episodes I saw no way out 2001 that that was
0: that was a pretty good show yes definitely definitely um yeah cuz um, what was the card for the no way out 2001 let me see I'm, I'm 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 actually I'm actually gonna help you with that because um, I do remember
1: H- Triple H versus Stone Cold, um, three three stages of hell.
0: Yep, yep, and that was on the fifth match of the card. It was. Um,
1: and then first, I remember Trish versus Stephanie.
0: Yep, yep. It was a single match. Stephanie McMahon Hamlin versus yep.
1: Kurt. Yep, for
0: Man the, event. WWE the WWE, WWE title. Yep. And then uh, the triple threat tag team um, ta- um, tables match between the Dudley Boys beating the Brothers of Destruction and Edge of Christian. I actually remember that match. That was actually really fun. That was yeah. actually a really fun match. Jerry um,
1: Lawler against um, against uh, Stephen Richards.
0: Yep, yep. Stephen Richards actually won that. Um, and then don't forget the fatal four-way for the Intercontinental Championship match. It was Chris Jericho defeating Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, and X-Pac. And Big Show and Raven opened up with a hardcore championship match. You know, I, I know that people don't like the weapons matches and shit, but hardcore championship matches in WWF were really fun. Yeah. They really were. They really were. And and Big Show was really fun to watch. And Raven, of course, he's a hardcore guy. So, of course, that match was really good. Obviously. So.
1: Basically, he's the – yeah, he's the hardcore champion legend.
0: Yeah. I, def- I definitely give credit there. Um, great stuff though. That was actually a really good pay per view. So yeah. Um, for my two hundred moment of the night, I'm actually going to give it to Kyrie Irving, who on Thursday, June twenty third, two thousand eleven, was picked number one in the NBA draft. Here's what was special about Kyrie being picked number one in this NBA draft: he actually played only eleven games at Duke, eight regular season, three in the um, NCAA championship tournament or the tournament, and Duke did not win that championship that year. They won it the year before in 2010, but 2011 they did not. They lost in Sweet 16 to Arizona. And Mm. I remember this personally because in school I was trying to become a broadcaster, and I actually wanted to get credits for college. So what I did was I actually covered the Duke Blue Devils, Kyrie Irving, and his ankle injury the entire season. Hmm. And I wrote book reports. I wrote current events. I wrote why Kyrie Irving should be the number one pick for this, 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 and this. And I'm happy to say I'm very glad that I did that. Those were some of the best moments of my life. Yes, um, I actually am very upset by, by – But when I look back at it now, I'm very upset because there were – Family friends that I did not hang out with and I do miss that time hanging out with them and they don't know a lot about and 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 one and one family friend of mine does not know a lot about me or anything that I've done in my life because me and her have never hung out like that. But it's um it's definitely, you know, I, I definitely love to like tell her about these things and I hope she does watch Keeping it 200, episode 31 with Tavon Jameson and myself. But but I hope that she watches this episode and just, you know, listens to the 200 moment of the night. Because um, I remember covering Kyrie Irving, when he literally went down with the ankle injury his eighth game into the season. And, um, you know, he basically broke his big toe. That's what happened. Mm. But his ankle was fine. It was just his toe... You know, was broken, and it and it took him over three months to get back. And he was going to play in the ACC tournament, but he didn't need to. And Duke did win the ACC um, tournament that year in 2010. But yeah, uh, second overall pick in the draft in 2011 was Derek Williams of Arizona, who actually beat Kyrie Irving in Duke. Uh, mm. Ennis Cantor was picked third by Utah. Um, Tristan Thompson was picked fourth by Cleveland, and fifth was Jonas Valanciunas. By the way, all five players uh, except Derek Williams is still in the NBA today. Um, Six was Jan Vasily, who's famous in the draft for you know making out with his girlfriend before he got drafted. Bisbeck <laughs> um, Biambo <laughs> was picked seventh. Um, Brandon Knight was picked eighth. Of course, if you don't know what happened to Brandon Knight, he's literally been the highlight YouTube video of Kyrie Irving that year in yeah. the Rise of Stars. Broke his ankles. <laughs> uh, mm. Kibble Walker was picked ninth in this draft on this day this year. He was actually picked ninth. Oh man, we talked about him. <laughs> oh, Jimmy Redent was picked tenth by Milwaukee. Boy, did we all think Jimmy Redent was going to be like this NBA superstar? Or what? Man, yeah. we were all wrong. Yeah, we pretty were all wrong. much.
1: <laughs> Mike, Mike Emma, he he did a video about that, and <laughs> it's like, yeah, pretty much.
0: Oh my goodness, man! But in China, he's killing it though. In China, he's like averaging like. Like He's averaging better numbers than Michael Jordan in his own prime. That's how good he is in China, so I don't understand why I never translate it here. Uh, Clay Thompson, 11th. Uh, Alex Burks was 12th. Markeith and Marcus Morris was thirteen and fourteen. Fun fact, Marcus and Markeith would actually be able to play in the NBA the first five seasons. And did you know something about the Morris twins? The first five years, they shared the same bank account. They shared the same apartment. And... They had the same number of kids. Hmm. Exactly. These Morris twins are some weirdos.
1: Twins, <laughs> but they get,
0: Oh, they were really twins twins. They were really some twins. <laughs> uh, but they got to play together their first five seasons. Um, fun fact, when um, Marcus Morris was traded, um, that's actually when they actually had to get a separate bank account. <laughs> that is actually – and Marcus said, it was the toughest day of my life. Because he said it on, he said honestly that day he said I didn't even know what the hell I was doing <laughs> I, said, <laughs> I said man I said man you've really been letting your brother take your money for years. I said, That's some bullshit, man. I said I would never <laughs> let that happen. Uh, I'm sorry, Tayvon, but if you have a little brother and you love him to death, you're not sharing your bank account with him if you got like five million dollars and he got five dollars, like you're not doing that. <laughs> Uh, 15th in this draft was actually Kawhi Leonard by the Indiana Pacers and the Pacers would trade him to San Antonio uh, Nikola Vocevic was picked by the Sixers Amon Schumper was picked by 17th by the Knicks there's a lot of cool players in this draft Tobias Harris 19 to Charlotte of course Tobias Harris didn't come out as a be- breakout player to like 2018 but still um, Nolan Smith, Duke I remember this pick I was actually jumping up and down when Nolan Smith got picked by Portland because Nolan Smith was known at Duke, and Tavon, yes, you're going to laugh about this, but at Duke, Nolan Smith was known as the people's champion.
1: <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> he really, really
0: was. He that was, was a their walk Yes, he really was, and they called him that. And yes, Nolan Smith was literally – and Nolan Smith to this day is now a Duke assistant coach. So – but I was so happy when Nolan Smith got picked. I was like, I said, oh my god, Nolan Smith got picked. I said, the people's champion is coming to Portland. And, and then Nolan Smith never played any for Portland. I'm like, oh, that's sad. Mm. Um, Reggie Jackson was picked 24th in this draft. Um, Kenneth Farid. I actually remember Kenneth Farid. Kenneth Farid, actually, if I'm not mistaken, won a USA medal. Um. So, yes. Um. Jimmy Butler was, was picked 30th at the end of the first round of this draft. Great stuff right there. And in the second round, Kyle Singler from Duke was picked. um, Big part of the 2010 championship for us. Um, Trying to think. Isaiah Thomas was the 60th pick in this um, draft as well. And remember, Isaiah Thomas would have this – of course he would break out and, of course, be something awesome for Boston in 2017. But, of course, a hip injury caused his career basically to be over and cost him a lot of money. Um, yeah um who else is there anybody else in this draft that I was I remember Darius Morris was really huge for the Lakers and I was like always cheering for him Chandler Parsons was picked 38 by the Rockets okay so I want to break down this here because I know that we're like going crazy on hours but I remember Chandler Parsons was picked by Houston and I remember when Chandler Parsons went to Florida and I was actually a Florida Gators fan and I was watching them on um, TV on CBS on Saturdays and they actually had good games And Florida actually did really good that year. But I hated Chandler Parsons when he got into the NBA because, because all the women I had a crush on in school or the women I had a crush on on like social media, love Chandler Parsons and they had a big mm. crush on him. And I'm like, how you bitches have a crush on him? He ain't that <laughs> damn cute. Like I honestly started treating Chandler Parsons like, like I treated Jesse McCarthy and Jesse McCarthy you know, like, was, you know, like, you know, to, like, girls, like, uh, now, now, now we're really getting old because in 2004, Jesse McCarthy was, like, really popular. You know, he was on a Sleep Life and Zach and Cody episode and all this bullshit. And Jesse McCarthy was, like, basically what, like, Zach Efron was, and then Zach Efron outbeat him in this shit. But, but. And Zach
1: Efron is what <laughs> Chris Pratt is.
0: Exactly. And then, and then what else? Um, Who's another guy that like was very annoying in school that like all the girls had a crush on and we were all disgusted with? Because it was definitely Jesse McCarthy, Zach Efron. You can throw Chris Brown in that picture. Who else was <laughs> another guy there? Because, yeah, because trust trust me, trust, trust, trust. we didn't like these guys in school. Now, now I can actually like say like I was actually a little dumb for not liking Zach Efron because he was actually really funny in 17 again. And I like that movie. I like the movie 17 again. It's actually a funny movie. Um, mm. Jesse McCarthy – um, he never. I didn't listen to any of his music. To me, Je- Jesse McCarthy is the '90s Justin Bieber. That's what he is, mm. and that's what he honestly is to us '90s kids. To us '90s kids, he's the Justin Bieber before Justin Bieber, except <laughs> Justin Bieber has kept more longevity, you know. And he married. And fun fact: Did you know this here about Savon? Uh, did you know this about Justin Bieber? His wife that he's married to, Haley Bieber, Oh, yeah the I know president. That. Was the president of his fan club group at age 13? Wow, I did not know that. Exactly. And I and what's even fucked up is Justin Bieber still makes music about Selena Gomez. <laughs> I know, right? And he's still married. And, and he's married. Like uh, I mean I, I, was... <laughs> I mean,
1: pretty much at this point, I mean <laughs> bear, bear with me, folks. I'm pretty much gonna say this, but at this point, if if, if he still singing about that he might as well just get a threesome (laughs) thanks
0: thanks he really said you got all that money in the world and you can't do any of that in fact you got all this money and and, you know i'm I'm sorry i'm sorry but you got all this kind of money like even the weekend still does this about selena gomez too for some reason the weekend and justin bieber's music i do like their music i'm not like gonna shit their music i'm really not going to but my goodness these men keep writing the same music about the same woman so trust me this woman's you know what was literally the most magical thing ever? It was like, it, you know, you know, in that movie like um Snow White and shit been ever, or like Cinderella been like Cinderella, you know, had like the um glass slippers and shit, and like she get then she turned into like all this princess and shit. That's that's what they must have saw. They must have saw heaven when they went up there. They really must have saw heaven when they went up in there, really <laughs> up into there bro. Because because my goodness, they still write music about Selena Gomez. Shit, I mean, I I will say this here. Selena Gomez is a very fine woman. But I don't know if she's worth writing all this music about years later and years later. And The weekend to get back Selena Gomez, became, like, president of BMW, like, automotive, where he advertised the cars and shit. And she still hasn't gotten back with him. So, So trust me, I'll tell you, I will say this here, though. If you fall in love with a woman that powerful, man, that must be the dangerous thing in life, man, because I would be like... I wouldn't know what to do. A dude like me would not be going on, on social media or nothing like what the weekend Justin Bieber do, or be making music like this. I will say this year, I'd be in therapy, you know, mourning in silence. That's what I'd be doing, man, because I couldn't, yeah. I, I couldn't live with a woman like that, man. And I, I've had, I've had it happen to me. I've had it. It, it. it doesn't feel good. It really doesn't. So, anyway, so we're way into two hours of this show. And it's probably the best time to close it now. So we're actually gonna close the show with Michael Jackson's "Billie Jean" tomorrow night. Tavon will be back. Blackheart will be back. 8 p.m. We will be back live on Spotify Green Room. If you like to check us out. However, if you don't have the time to, like most people never do, um, we are officially on Spotify, so you can just check us out at Keeping It 200 Podcast. And um, I want to say uh, special, home um, – we're going to give a shout-out to Trey, that's Blackheart's cousin, for his podcast as well. Um, hold on. Let me see if I can find it because I followed it today. Oh, yep. We're going to give a uh, shout-out to Section 5, a Celtics and NBA podcast. Um, section 5 is Trey, Mark, Adam. They talk today about the Kimball Walker trade, Jason Tatum in the Olympics, and who are they rooting for in the NBA Conference Finals. It's a 40-minute episode. They're on Season 2, Episode 18. It's The episode's called Blockbuster Brad in the Conference Finals. Make sure to show them love. It's Section 5, a Celtics NBA uh, podcast. Make sure to check that out. And make sure to um, show us some love while you're there, and check out Keeping It Two Hundred. And make sure to check out some love and give some love to Blackheart for Off the Top Rope podcast. He's been off the last couple of days, and he definitely needs a day off and shit. So definitely give um, definitely give anybody credit. Tavon, um, I have some people ask me this here: Is Tavon Jameson ever going to start his own podcast? You know. Ever ever
1: since ever since I kept being in these podcasts, I've I've always had this thought like, you know what? You know what? This is like this is like pretty much cool. This this might be actually something that I could probably (laughs) do. (laughs) I mean would I pro would I do it on my own, I mean pro I, I I probably would, but it's 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 at that I'm at that point in my life where it's like, well, I, I kinda have to pretty much do some stuff and then we'll see where we go from there. But I mean <laughs> I mean, maybe. Maybe I'll I'll do a Yeah. So so my so own, never say I never, guess, never right? Yeah, basically.
0: Okay. Yeah, definitely. I, I was just I, I had getting I was getting so many questions and like saying like, Well you never shout out Tavon's podcast and I'm like, Well, Tavon doesn't have a podcast. Like is like literally just like a co host on our shows, you know? And and, and I'm pretty sure, you know Trayvon, you're going to be like a co-host on Off the Top Rope podcast because, I mean, Blackheart's here, like, and you know, and you know, he'll definitely invite you. And Section Five, I'm pretty sure they'll probably be inviting you soon. And I'm I'm going to try and get on the Section Five podcast. I'm going to be talking to Trey about that. So, spoiler, folks, I could be on three podcasts by the end of 2021. Man, I'm trying to get into that buddy. <laughs> but,
1: um, but <laughs> pretty much, though,
0: but definitely though. Um, But yeah, also tomorrow night, Tavon, we will be discussing what we will be doing for the hip-hop episode coming up where you will be the moderator and me and Blackheart will be discussing logistics. What does logistics mean to people that don't understand logistics? Well, that means that we're going to be saying what are we talking about, verses in music or verses in TV shows or verses in both? And we're also going to try and get out a winner, something nice. So – but anyway, so that's definitely going to be that. So definitely though, and we're also going to be um, getting questions that Tavon, um, that sorry, not Tavon Blackheart was you know harassing me about saying, oh, all your people are going to say what uh, One Tree Hill was a culture. Uh, spoiler, Blackheart, if you're going to be watching the show, we got people that said One Tree Hill they would defend for the end of their lives. So Blackheart, <laughs> you're so fucking wrong. I can't wait to bury his ass. For we're going to be back on live at 8 o'clock on Spotify Grave Room. If you don't check us out, you know we're always um, on Spotify in the archives. So make sure to check us out. Give us some love. Tavon, we're actually going to close tonight with a song heading into Throwback Thursday. Billy Jean, Michael Jackson, Thriller. How about that? That's a better song. You can't name a better song than that, can you?
1: Well, other than Bad not really.
0: <laughs> I didn't like that. But anyway, so. <laughs> I liked it in mind Be careful what you do. Don't go around
1: breaking young girls' hearts. Don't wake up. I said, can't sit right by me. I just smell as sweet
0: perfume. I guess everything's smooth. I see far too. And that's it for keeping it 200. Tavon, I'd like to thank you for coming in tonight. Tomorrow night, we're back with Tavon and Black Cards. So make sure to check us out, Tavon. Have a great night. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace, everybody.
1: Thanks, Zach. Have a good night, too. Peace.